Hey, Lily, can I ask you a, a serious kind of question for a change? Serious? That's not like you, Randy, but sure, go for it. I saw a video recently from a guy I know from London product tank meetups about how he approaches product management as an autistic person. And it got me thinking about neurodiversity. What do you know about this area? I love this topic. And yeah, we always talk about diversity, meaning your race, gender, and even your sexual preference. But really, what about diversity in the way that we think and the way that our brains work? So I find it really fascinating. But honestly, I don't really know that much about it. You know, I once heard someone say that if you look down while in a meeting and everyone was wearing the same kind of shoes, then you don't have enough diversity. But that definitely doesn't work very well in the age of remote working. And I'm not 100% sure it applies to this discussion. Well, especially with you and I, Randy, because we're always just in our pink fluffy slippers. Um, but anyway, back to being more serious. Luckily, we have two lovely guests this week to help us learn more about neurodiversity. Martin Gaspar, who's a product leadership consultant and also creator of the video you mentioned. And we also have Eli Montgomery, who talks a lot about all kinds of diversity and helps make sure that UK Unicorn Kazoo is doing what they need in this area. I learned a lot from this chat. So, you know, let's just get right to it. The product experience is brought to you by Mind the Product. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we can improve our practice and build products that people love. Visit mindtheproduct.com to catch up on past episodes and to discover an extensive library of great content and videos. Browse for free or become a Mind the Product member to unlock premium articles, unseen videos, AMAs, roundtables, discounts to our conferences around the world, training opportunities, and more. Mind the Product also offers free product tank meetups in more than 200 cities, and there's probably one near you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Product Experience Podcast. Today, we have the lovely benefit of two fabulous guests here to talk about neurodiversity. And uh, first up, Martin, welcome. It's really nice to have you. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So give us a really quick intro into your background um, in product and what do you do these days? Sure, so I'm a psychologist. I've done thought leadership, AI research. I founded three startups in the chatbot and data science space, and I've been contracting in product management and leadership for a good seven years now. I run the Product Whisperer, which is a product management consultancy focusing on product leadership, conversational interfaces, and neurodiversity. Awesome. So uh, just a little bit busy then, by the sounds of it. Um, And Eli is also joining us. So Eli, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So Eli, give us a quick intro into uh, your background and what you're doing in product. I am currently the head of user experience at Kazoo. We sell used cars online. On top of that, I do lots of volunteering, mentoring, coaching, etc. And I'm super passionate about building inclusive organizations from the ground up. So at Kazoo, I lead our Diversibility ZRG, which focuses on diversity and inclusion for people with neurodiversity and disabilities. And I also do a little bit of writing and speaking on the side. Awesome. Thank you. Um, So we often, 
you know, hear people talking about diversity, but neurodiversity isn't covered as frequently. Martin, you recently started posting videos on LinkedIn specifically about autism. So what inspired you to create the videos and tell us how that started? Yes. So during the lockdown, me as many other people as well, I assume, started to reflect on my past and my future. And I realized that quite a lot of the times I was trying to be open and I told people that I'm autistic, I have ADHD, dyspraxia, because I wanted them to understand me more. And that just didn't happen. They, they, they didn't understand me more. And I realized that it's not their fault. It's not my fault. It's not anyone's fault. It's awareness. Awareness mm. is missing. So I realized that actually no one is focusing on tech and neurodiversity as, as, a, as, as a speaker and, and an advocate in the space. And I realized that I just need to do it. I need to come out and I need to try to inspire people to own up to their own neurodiversity because I know a lot of people who work, who, brilliant people work in really good jobs and they don't dare to tell it in, in their workplace. And that's quite bad. And after the video went a bit viral and ever since then, many, many people have been messaging me, friends, family, and a lot of random people from the industry saying, I have this as well. I have this as well. What should I do? What should I tell my boss? How do I adjust my workplace? And it, it's so good that I can just start helping people and I will focus more creating content and raising awareness as well as making a financial argument for sea uh, levels and leaders that, hey, you're leaving money on the table if you don't have neurodiverse people on your team. If neurodiversity means that your brain works differently, and if we subscribe to the to the theory that innovation comes from better and different ideas, then if you put people with different brains in the room, they'll come up with different ideas. And that's how mm. radical innovation happens. When we enable that, that's magic. Eli, you said you run the employee resource group for neurodiversity uh, and disability and inclusion at, at Kazoo. Tell us a little bit about why that's important. Why is a little bit more on what neurodiversity means in hiring for you? I think one of the things that's really important about neurodiversity in hiring is understanding that all sorts of people have a variety of abilities, like Martin was saying. It's so important to include those people because they are your customers. They're your employees. They're the people working beside you. You know, I have ADHD. I also have chronic depression and anxiety. And I've talked about uh, depression and anxiety before um, alongside a different Martin, Martin Erickson. Um, but I hadn't really taken ownership of, you know, the way ADHD impacts my work. And, you know, um, about the time that Martin posted his video, I had just started kind of like in my own way taking, you know, some ownership of like myself at work. And I think for other people too, neurodiversity really matters in hiring because what you want is you want to make sure that you're accommodating a range of experiences and you want those people helping you make product decisions. Everyone in the world, you know, has different abilities, but not catering to and not representing people with diverse abilities, whether they be physical or mental can be severely, severely limiting for your, um, you know, just overall diversity thinking. 
for your inclusion thinking. And it can have detrimental effects on your product if you're, you know, in the same way that we consider high contrast text on a website really important for accessibility. You know, you want accessibility not just in the end product, but in the decision making room so you don't have to unwind bad decisions along the way. So if we unpick some of the disorders, I guess you would call them, that come under the neurodiversity umbrella. Um, autism, like what is it? What? How does it manifest itself? Can it be recognised? Or, you know, I think one of the things that is quite difficult is all of these uh, different ways in which people think, like it's not visible to anyone. So you can't see if someone is struggling with depression or is dyslexic or there might be some clues there but unless uh, like you say Martin unless you're very open about it um it's very hard to tell so Martin what's your kind of uh how do you describe autism to people who aren't familiar with it okay so autism is a spectrum of a range of the continuum of symptoms and it's not even symptoms it's just who I am my brain is wired differently and I think differently it's not better it's not worse it's just simply different honestly i'm i'm not sure if you you should leave this in i'm not sure how to describe my own autism because it's a range of symptoms Mm. it's just you it's it's yeah like what 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 is my adhd what is just marton that there isn't it like i i am autistic I have my face doesn't know my, my face doesn't act in a way that I want it to, right? It doesn't do the same things that I feel. My tone can be pretty robotic. I can be pretty blunt, but not because I mean to hurt or it's not even hurtful. Sometimes it's just strange. It's because I'm really thinking and I'm trying to grasp the problem and work my way through it. It can be a really literal mind. So in my video as well, when you say, do you want chocolate or vanilla ice cream? My answer will be yes. It was a yes and no question. Technically, I'm correct. But all of you <laughs> on the planet are wrong. What you meant is chocolate or vanilla. We know you want ice cream, Martin. <laughs> these tiny things can really add up because if, if, especially if you're going into leadership, right? People do not want to give you the time of the day and they don't want to explain things. And it's really difficult to get them. Sometimes I need more clarity. If they give me that more clarity, I will be more independent than the rest because I will stop and think and really put everything into its place. And after that, I build my mental model. I I will just go. You don't need anything from me. I will create that vision and execute it till the end. But before the initial clarity is given, I'm just confused. I don't know what to do. And at that time, I have been told that I come across blunt or argumentative when all I'm trying to do is just really understand what what do you what are you trying to tell me to do? I do anything. I, I'm not fighting the premise that we need to do this. I just need to get to the bottom of it. I'm going to ask a blunt question then, because uh, there's one thing I'm always a little confused about. Uh, one of the things we talk about in in product is the importance of communication skills and empathy and the ability to to communicate well is something that when I'm hiring product people is uh, something I over index for and it sounds like that can occasionally be a challenge for you so first off why is this the the field that you wanted to pursue so first of all, I love product management and I just really like 
I, I really hate that all those brilliant engineers are wasting their time instead of focusing on good things. I just knew things can be done better. I can't settle. But coming back to the original question that, yes, I understand that I manage stakeholders differently than what you would uh, typically expect. It does not mean that I'm a bad stakeholder manager at all. Diplomacy is not one of my key skills. Logic, reasoning, and showing love and empathy is. What I do when I go into a place and when I start meeting people is I really understand people. I don't just go in and see what they're working on. I want to understand Eli's dog, his family, his whole environment. And if there's anything I can do to make his life meaningfully better, that is the first thing I will try to do. Once I created that safe space and nurturing bubble, after that, people won't care that I may have issues because I stare a bit too intensely. Who cares? Who cares about my tone? What I'm trying to think is reason and unpick their ideas, listen to them, and create deep empathy and work with that. It's not different. It's not, it's not, it's not worse. It's just a different style. It's an excellent point, and it's not one that I – I'll admit, it's not one I had really considered before. And in hiring processes that I've run in the past, I'm not sure that you would have made it past uh, some of the rounds because of the way that we would have over-indexed for certain things. So I'm curious, Eli, from your perspective, what's the – how do we better design the hiring process to accommodate this? Well, I think, you know, the first thing is – making sure that you have a very clear definition of um, what culture fit and culture add look like and making sure that the things that are actually important to the job are not um, over-indexed to a point where one thing that can reasonably be different for the job is the make or break factor. So for example, if somebody has a different communication style, how are you thinking about communication style and acceptable or a range of communication styles rather than just the stakeholder whisperer, right? Or like the um, lion tamer or the architect or the, you know, there's various archetypes that you can use to think about communication styles. And I think taking on a range of them and being very intentional about defining like a multiplicity of ways in which somebody could communicate and be successful is really important. I have a bunch of different designers in my team. And one of them is uh, currently going through the process of uh, waiting on the NHS to be screened for autism. Um, but, you know, the ways in which I accommodate for that person are to ensure that they have a lot of trust, a lot of clarity from me, a lot of structure. You know, if I need something done, I say, hey, this is the thing that I think we need to do. And I would recommend doing it either this way or this way. And that, you know, um, it kind of flares up against my like aversion to micromanagement. So I've had to unlearn what micromanagement means in relationship to this one person, because for this person, that clarity is what gives them the opportunity to really embrace thinking about the problem and diving in. As soon as I start breaking it down into like several components, they can really engage with the problem, dive in, and then they own it and run with it. But it does take a little bit more setup on my part and where somebody else might consider that micromanagement because I'm like kind of, you know, diving in and going, okay, let's pull this apart. This person really thrives on that and has demonstrated an ability to like 
take that level of direction and is like actively learning how to ask the questions that prep them for it. So I think making sure that there's no one make or break behavior is really important. And then I think um, the other thing is like making sure that you are accommodating for people. You know, if you don't have quiet interviews, for example, or alternative times or things where, you know, you give people like the benefit of doubt if they need to reschedule, you know, some people just have anxiety and they're going to interview terribly because they're worried that if they call in and say, hey, I'm just really anxious today, you know, it's election week. I I know it won't be when we finally publish this, but like the American election is either looming or, you know, coming up. There's a lot of anxiety in the air right now. And giving people a little bit of just like slack, right, for the ways in which life gets in the way, I think is really important. And you don't have to be like a genius who knows all the theory about neurodiversity to do well. I think you just need to like apply empathy, not just to like the requirements, right, and go, this person must be empathetic, but question yourself in the ways in which you're making room to be empathetic to every single candidate who comes through that door. May I just add that, so I, I love everything what Eli said, and I, I just want to go a little bit deeper into one of the points. So this cult, culture fit is the easiest way to discard someone, and they mm-hmm. can the people who do that very often cannot define what culture is. But what it breaks down to a lot of the times is they think they're Freud, and they saw my facial expression or my body language, and they mistook it for something else. And you cannot apply the same principles for an autistic person because their face, their tone, their body language will not do the same. So if, if you're trying to fit people into the, the same box and, and, and use the same criteria, it's not going to work. If you don't give a dyslexic person some time to independently think, because they can think what they can't do is, or some some people struggle in the moment coming up with arguments. It doesn't mean they can't come up with the argument, but if you don't accommodate them in, in your hiring process in a way that they have five minutes of quiet time to create a cogent argument, then you're not effectively, you're, you're not going to find the really good people. You're missing mm-hmm. out and you're, you're actually being ignorant about it. It's, it's going to hurt the business. It's going to hurt the individual as well, but it's going to hurt the business. Changes to our world in 2020 mean that digital transformation has become a necessary strategy overnight. This means companies now need new tools to help them flourish. And Amplitude is here to help. As the number one solution for product analytics based on customer reviews on G2, They help teams answer questions like, how are people using our digital products? Why do users convert or drop off? Which features drive the most impact? And what should we build next? Their product intelligence platform powers teams at companies like PayPal, Instacart, Peloton, and Atlassian, enabling them to build product experiences that convert and retain customers. See for yourself how companies like DoorDash and Cisco build for growth using Amplitude, Visit amplitude.com forward slash MTP. And we've kind of talked a lot about the relationship side of working with or trying to hire neurodiverse people. 
What about the the kind of the physical environment and the tools and uh, the workspace? Is there anything that people should be very aware of in that sort of physical environment to help support or, you know, provide a space which is more suited to people with various different neurodiverse um, traits? Um, we do a couple of things. And, you know, obviously everyone being remote in lockdown, one of the easiest things that you can do is don't have a cameras on requirement. Don't be the kind of person who says cameras on or else, right? There are tons of reasons, including just face fatigue, right? Like, I'm just tired of you looking at my face. I'm tired of like trying to micromanage my expressions from back to back meeting. Please just leave me the fuck alone. I don't think you're allowed <laughs> to say fuck on the podcast, right? It's fine. <laughs> we'll bleep you <laughs> so, out. <laughs> please just please just leave me alone and let me be off camera. You know, I think having a cameras on requirement can be very, very exhausting for people. And that's one of the easiest things that you can do is like, don't assume bad intent or that people are disinterested or not paying attention, right? If somebody's just fatigued from having been on camera and, you know, being distracted by their own um, image and reflection, it's okay for them to turn the camera off. It'll, if it will help them focus. Um, another thing in the physical environment that I think is really important is understanding that just because somebody has headphones in does not make them an antisocial asshole, right? That might be the only way in which somebody can focus. It might be the only way in which um, somebody can process and get work done. Uh, there's a different designer in my team who has YouTube on in the background all day, every single day while he's working. Um, you know, it's not in meetings, but while he does all the other things that he does, all his quiet time. And I remember the product manager that he was work he is working with uh, asked me like, hey, he seems to watch a lot of YouTube. What's up with that? And I was like, well, does, does he ever miss a deadline? Has he ever been late? And she goes, no. I was like, well, then what's the problem? Is he focused? Is he executing well? Doesn't matter if he's watching YouTube. I don't care. You know, as long as it doesn't violate like the company fair use policies and he's not watching anything inappropriate, doesn't bother me, right? Like, if that's what he needs. And I talked to him about it because I was just like, hey, you know, like, you watch a lot of YouTube. What's up with that? And he was like, I have ADHD and it's the only thing that helps me focus is like having voices on in the background. So, you know, I watch a range of shows. They're just on, they're just noise, but it's kind of like being in a cafe. It just gives me that right level of noise so I can focus. So what companies have you worked for that you feel have approached uh, supporting people with neurodiversity very well or, you know, potentially very badly because there's always something to learn from people who do things not so well? Martin. So I don't want to name and shame companies uh, who are not doing it well, but there are a few common trends that I would like to mention. For example, giving feedback without action items is not going to help anyone. Poorly phrased interview questions, it can really throw people off. I have been thrown off at, at an interview at, uh, by a really good product leader at a really good uh, unicorn poorly phrased the question. And I, at that point, I just went into meltdown and I wasn't able to function. I actually wanted to get a job. It's very rare for me to actually want to get a job. So phrasing the interview questions is really important. 
judgment, making judgment, again, based on facial expressions, body language, tone of voice, mistaking bluntness to lack of social skills, like you said as well, Randy, I would not pass probably Google, Facebook, Amazon's interviews. And it's very ironic because I'm working with people and getting them ready for those interviews. And um, in the selection of hiring process, people, some people tend to be really fixated on, have you exactly done that thing? And they're not looking at transferable skills and what some of the achievements you've done actually mean. Running a startup means that you probably can build a product if that startup has built a product and you were the head of it. There's, there's, there's a lot of overlap there. And some of the things that companies are doing well or what, what, I, what has worked for me are smaller companies where I have repeated interaction with stakeholders. If I work in a 200,000 people company and I just meet people as a one-off, there can be miscommunication. But if I keep seeing people and I get to know them more intimately and I can create that kind of bond that I was trying to describe earlier, those tend to be really favorable environments for for neurodiverse people. Now, Eli has the challenge to scale that up in, in the monster like Kazoo. Yeah, I do. And <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm not saying we get it right 100% of the time. I think that I am uh, woefully ignorant, but doing my best. And I think that that's an okay place to start as long as you have both good intentions and the humility to take correction when you get it wrong. And I think too often when we talk about mistakes, we talk about good intentions and not enough about the humility to be corrected. And so, you know, in the same way that like, I know ADHD, but I don't know other things, I am going to wear my user researcher hat and explore and talk to people with a range of, um, you know, diverse abilities or neurodiversity needs and make sure that we're representing them and considering those needs in our hiring process, right? So one of the things that we're exploring now is like um, the option of doing a one-to-one interview or, um, you know, other ways in which somebody could, you know, reduce the social pressures and still go through a process that's fair, but maybe more tailored to their abilities, their needs, and what suits them in a working environment. Because just because you need a little bit of quiet time doesn't mean you're a bad collaborator. And it certainly doesn't mean you're incapable of doing the work. I think the challenge is back on us as product people doing leadership and hiring to think about the best ways to apply empathy to that candidate experience and give them something that is fair and meets their needs, which is an ambiguous, really exciting, and open-ended product problem that somebody out there could or should solve. <laughs> so Eli, you just talked about some, some really interesting things about uh, the hiring process, but if I've got a team already, and I suspect that someone on, on the team might be autistic or is showing signs of being neurodiverse, what's the best way of, of talking to them about it and managing and making being accommodating? And what are some of the bad things that you've seen that we should watch out for? So, okay. So one of the things that you shouldn't do is you shouldn't start going about diagnosing people. Okay. That's, that's not what anyone should, should really do. These people may not even be aware that they have it, but you have noticed it somehow, 
right? So there are those concrete examples when you see that these people may be struggling with, and there you may see other examples that they are really, really good at because you've fallen in love with them in the first place when you hired them. I would literally just go up to them and have a conversation that, have you noticed that this seems to be difficult? Is there anything else I can help? Do you want something to be changed? And I think it's really important to, to tackle the symptoms and not diagnose and open an honest conversation and take it from there. These people may know, may not know, but as, as long as you approach them with respect and, and an open mind rather than going there with the judgment that like, hey, how come you missed another deadline? That Do you know that uh, reporting you made another error? Like I have ADHD, I will make small comma and grammatical errors. It's not because I'm an idiot. Is because my mind misses it. So what? Don't give me that part of the job. Give me the part of the job that I'm awesome at or pair me up with someone. Like this, there's always, normally people think accommodation means something really expensive and long and difficult. A lot of the times it's so easy, so manageable and free. All it takes is empathy and knowledge and, and talking to them and understanding it really. I think it takes a little bit of patience and a willingness to dig in and ask yourself hard questions about how to set other people up for success. You know, um, the thing about managing neurodiverse people is definitely first and foremost, like neurodiversity is a fact. There are probably neurodiverse people in your workplace already. In fact, you might be one of them and not know it. And I think, you know, the most important thing to do is just build trust and make it safe to talk about at work. Um, and if you don't have that culture broadly, find somebody who you do trust and can talk to if that's you. If that's not you and you wanted to talk about somebody maybe you're managing, I think Martin's point of like talk to them about their strengths and weaknesses and find ways to accommodate for those weaknesses is a much better sort of approach than trying to diagnose or like, hey, it looks like you've got this condition over here. Like, you know, there are medical doctors who are trained to do that. If you think it's disruptive or a problem, um, maybe talk to HR about the ways in which they might want to like set that person up for some, hey, we think this is, you know, slightly disruptive to the way that you're working with others, but hopefully it doesn't have to get there and you can build trust and work with people to get the best out of them rather than um, find yourself in this weird, awkward place of like, oh, I don't really know how to talk about this. Mm. I This may not be in the podcast, but can I just mention that diagnosing autism is done by a board of psychiatrists. It's not something a single person just declare, right? It's a complex and really difficult thing, and it really depends on, on interpretation. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's try and keep that in. But I think, Lily, you had a, a question, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> um, I just, I, I wondered what your opinion was on, um, you know, I've worked in tech for 15 years and quite often if someone is behaving a little bit odd, we'll uh, say, oh, they're probably on the spectrum. And, and there is this perception of uh, people with autism being incredibly good, at very focused, uh, detailed work like programming. What's your what's your kind of take on that? Is that something that companies should be uh, embracing, if you like, and almost taking advantage of people who 
prefer to operate in a very singular focused way or you know should we be encouraging people to break out of that or what's your what are your views on on that i think the framing of take advantage is pretty problematic i think that lots of times when we talk about taking advantage especially with the archetype you just mentioned uh what we're actually doing is talking about exploitation right so taking advantage mm-hmm. maybe at the expense of that person or you know um it just seems that there's like a possible anti-pattern here when it comes to neurodiverse representation where we build you know code factories and we have a bunch of like um quote-unquote neurodiverse representation, but it's basically just a slave labor camp for people with diverse abilities. And that's a big anti-pattern. We don't want that. We don't want exploitation. I think it's really important that, um, you know, while autism is a very, like, mysterious thing that does require a board of people to diagnose, I think it's also really important that, um, you know, when we see behaviors, like, we tolerate certain things and we don't tolerate certain things right like i've seen things like the spectrum used to defend just like frankly unacceptable behavior and i've seen it used to like you know be pejorative about people who are maybe a little bit antisocial and i think really the best thing to do there is make sure that we're not exploiting people and make sure that like our hiring process and our culture tolerates a range of acceptable behavior and we're not singling people out and either putting them on a pedestal um for exploitation or you know look at how diverse we are we we have you know um one of those you know is like just not the right way to be talking about or thinking about it we're like oh hey look at all these quote-unquote financial advantages we get rather than hey we're doing the right thing and we're going to get a better product and we have a stronger culture and we're forcing ourselves to be more resilient And on top of that, you know, there is a financial gain from all those other things. But I think that when we short circuit the math to like neurodiversity equals more profit, I think we skip a lot of like the byproducts that have to exist for those um, financial impacts to be realized, which is what Martin started saying at the beginning about like innovation and different brains and you know neurodiversity is a fact people's brains have evolved differently and you know more than anything else neurodiversity means that those different ways in which our brains work are normal and good parts of human evolution rather than a blip that we try to course correct yeah it's love everything just a side point if people are good at something it's their job and they're doing it. Can't we just let them do it if that's what they want to do? You don't really have to get involved in their life and try to diversify their life if they don't want to. You are, again, you're not their shrink, right? If if that's what they want to do, let you can let them do it. And if it's good for the company, even better. Mm. If, if you can ask them, is there something else you would like to do? Do you think you would benefit from it? Do your partner think you would benefit from it? Because... I tend to get into repetitive behaviors. You ask my partner, she would say, maybe go do that. You know, that's that, that's a way to, to ask a conversation without judgments and, and exploitation. It's just, you have, you have to look out for people. You have to come at it from, from their perspective. What's good for you, it's going to be good for all of us. 
Eli Martin, it's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, one of my sons is diagnosed with autism and it's such a relief as a mum of an autistic child to know that there are businesses out there with people like you in them, <laughs> keeping an eye out for other people with um, neurodiverse conditions. Uh, I think I've said conditions or disorders twice, so um, I probably need to retract those <laughs> terms because I'm using the wrong language. Um, so obviously still some learning for me to do as well. But just one final point before we go. Um, are there any kind of resources that you would recommend if anyone wants to learn more about any of the topics that we've covered today? Watch my videos on LinkedIn, autism.org. Awesome. Thank you. Do what Martin said. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. If you think of anything after, we will put it in the show notes. So check out the cool. show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So that's it from us on this episode. We're recording this on election night, so I'm going to pour Randy a very large glass of bourbon and continue to watch him have a slight panic. Deep breaths, deep breaths. Thanks, Lily. It's a very interesting time. Take care, all you folks. And if you need a happy distraction, check out some of our backlog of episodes. And don't forget to like and subscribe. See you soon. Our hosts are me, Lily Smith, and me, Randy Silver. Emily Tate is our producer, and Luke Smith is our editor. Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band POW, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arna Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg, and plays bass in the band for letting us use their music. Connect with your local product community via Product Tank, our regular free meetups in over 200 cities worldwide. If there's not one near you, you can consider starting one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com forward slash product tank. Product Tank is a global community of meetups driven by and for product people. We offer expert talks, group discussion, and a safe environment for product people to come together and share learnings and tips. Mm -hmm.